Hi, Marco. Hi, Anand. Good evening, my time. Uh, Good day, your time. <laughs> <laughs> very nice to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm, yeah. I'm very happy to be here. Great. Today, my guest is Marco Lübeck. Uh, he's a full professor and chair of operations research at Aachen University in Germany. Marco's research interests are in computational integer programming and discrete optimization covering the entire spectrum from fundamental research to industry-scale applications. A particular focus of his work is on decomposition approaches to exactly solving large-scale real-world optimization problems. Marco teaches more than 2,000 students in more than five courses every year. He's an author of many papers published in prestigious journals such as OR, MathProg, and Management Science. He served on the INFORMS board as Vice President for Information Strategy and recently co-founded, along with uh, Professor Panos Pardalos, which was here as a guest, the Springer Journal Operations Research Forum. Marco is a father of six children and is a very popular figure on Twitter. So Marco, thank you so much for uh, being here and I'm so happy. Uh, how are you? I'm good, thank you, and I'm I'm really happy to be here. It's a, it's an honor to be your guest, and I'm very curious about the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally my pleasure. So, from which part of Germany are you from? Um, originally, I'm from a part uh, which is in the center of nowhere. So <laughs> it is called the city is Helmstedt, which is close to the former border. You know, there were two Germanys once, uh, the eastern and the western parts, and we were walking distance from the from the former border that was just a fence wow but uh, is it near uh, Wolfsburg I think it, it is near Wolfsburg yes so this is where we moved when I was uh, I think five years old then we moved to the Volkswagen city uh, so uh, my father was working there and we moved there and this is where I went to school and uh, close to that I also went to the university so this is where I grew up yes Okay, so uh, you grew up during the 70s and 80s. I'm giving away your age now a little bit, but... Uh, I, I will turn 50 this weekend, yes, ah, you, you, can, you can say that. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it was a period in which there were two Germanys. Uh, and right. what are your memories uh, from those days? Um, as I said, so it was walking distance and we were actually walking there. So I was often with my grandparents. They had a dog and we were just walking the dog along the fence and and maybe it was just normal so i i never thought about that we, we were talking about there is the other side but it was just as that so it was just normal really right so you didn't really care about that right it was no, uh, something that, really that was the status yes mm -hmm. okay uh and do you remember how you felt after the fall of the berlin wall that was later when I was at school, so I was like 16, 17, 18, I right? Think. 18, yes. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> so we, the, we knew that that was special, but maybe the consequences were, so the immediate consequences were we could go over the border, and we did, and, uh, and looked around and, and also smelled around, so it smelled differently. It was just 
a different world. But I mean, I mean, the consequences of all that, they were not really immediate to us at, at the time, even though it was, of course, it's a big thing. It, it also changed my life. So my, my current wife is from the Eastern part. So everything would have been totally different. Mm -hmm. um, but at, at the time, I didn't realize. So the most interesting thing was we could walk over. That was cool. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that well because it was small, but I one thing that I really remember is the that song by Scorpions, Wind of Change, mm -hmm. that is uh, very, very related to the, the, the fall of the wall. Mm -hmm. And also I remember uh, the next year uh, uh, when the Germany won the World Cup in Italy. In you know, Brazil uh, just uh, got out really soon at the round of 16 or something. And I, for some reason, I decided to support Germany. Uh, maybe I like the jersey, and uh, I like the guys like uh, Jürgen Klinsmann and uh, <laughs> Lotta Matthäus. You know, I was uh, a big fan of uh, of those guys. Mm -hmm. And it lasted for a year or two, even after the World Cup, uh, uh, I think between 1990 and 92. For some reason, I was very interested uh, in the German uh, national team. But then after a while, things got back to normal, and I started to to care about the Brazilian <laughs> team. Maybe they they improved and. Uh, uh, I, I, I got uh, more enthusiastic about that. And uh, who are your role models uh, while growing up? That's a good question. And because you alerted me of that question, I thought about it. And uh, maybe there are not real role models I can remember. There was no one I, I was looking to, to, to walk after, I think. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting and, and, and maybe I should be worried, but um, there is no one I could remember, actually. Wow. And uh, you had access to a computer uh, at the age of 13 or so, that's and that uh, kind of changed your life, right? That's, that's also true. So I was 13 when we, when we bought a Commodore C64, and I spent a lot of time there. Uh, I learned BASIC first, and then later on also Assembler, and I loved that. Uh, I, I was playing video games, of course, also, but, uh, but all this learning about the machine, and it was so small, so limited, that you could learn everything about the machine. Um, I tried to absorb as much as I could. Yeah, so that changed definitely something. Yeah, and working with limited resources uh, sounds familiar. <laughs> totally. I don't know if there is actually a, a bridge for what we are doing now, but um, but I'm pretty sure that that working with the limited resources, I mean, computationally, um, that that also influenced me later on when coding, for example. So I, I'm, maybe today I know that there are all the fancy libraries and all the resources are there, and I know the value of that. But, but for a long time, I just used what was there. And, and I didn't even dare to use, for example, in C++, the, the standard library. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was just maybe scared of all the fancy stuff because this was not there in the early days. So maybe I stayed there for a long time. Uh -huh. uh, so you took uh, programming classes even uh, before I joined the university? Um, yes and no. So. We, when I was at school in, in the final years, there was a physics teacher and he was maybe among the very first to teach computer science-like courses. So we learned a bit about hardware, 
um, about logic and, and also about coding. So we learned Pascal and Modular 2. I, I wouldn't call it a coding class, but, but at least w we picked up some things, yes. Yeah, and that influenced you later on, for sure, right? The, the, the I think so. At least, at least I wasn't scared. I, I liked that. I liked it, like math at school, actually, because both is like, um, you know, when you're right and when you're wrong. So this is something I liked about the natural sciences anyway. So in math in particular, so it was different to other subjects like geography or the German language, where everything is also subject to some interpretation. In math, everything is clear. And when you're good at it, you know when you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And that gave me some safety because this knowing when I'm wrong is it, it gave me a sign where I could learn or had to learn more uh, because then it felt right. And, and that feeling, I had the feeling. And this is what I liked about the math and also maybe about programming. That was logic. Mm -hmm. and, and even today, so I'm I'm fond of this structure about bugs. I love bugs, for example. <laughs> so, when and really, that's true because that's uh, why you're when in we the garden now, right? Because you're maybe yeah, looking for yeah, them. not these bugs, but <laughs> I love these bugs too. But but also, in, in when when we find a mistake, I'm always kind of happy because then I know there's one less. I, I never assume they're all gone, but um, I know that there's one less. You know that sometimes there's this feeling something doesn't feel right. The, the results are too good. Um, the, the, the numbers doesn't feel right. There must be something wrong. And, and, and we are looking and looking and waiting and, and switching. And, and after a while, someone says, oh, do you know what? So, so we got it all wrong. We had a bug and that sub idea, whatever. So it didn't, it didn't work out. And I'm, yes, that's cool because now we know why. Uh -huh. And this is a question that drives me all the time maybe this why so what why is it so good why is it so bad so w why should that be true so why drives me and and that is good in math and programming right mm -hmm. so that uh, that gives answers yeah you can see the passion you talk about math and also programming in a way mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. and this uh, encounter let's say you had with the with the computer when you were growing mm -hmm. up uh can we affirm that at that time your main influence was a machine rather than a person? <laughs> In contrast to a human, right? Um, it, together with what I said before, I, I would say yes. So at least it had a big impact on, on everything that followed. Yeah. yeah. So I must confess. <laughs> but yet uh, you, you picked math and French as emphasis it, it, uh, when you're school, yes. uh, close to finish your high school. Correct. So that was a strange combination, actually. It was even a strange combination to have a language and a natural science. So we were quite free in selecting these specialties. And I took both because I like both. J'aime le français. I still like French and I still like some French guys. Um, and it was good. So I never regretted, regretted that. Okay. Um, and what did you do after uh, finishing high school? Um, so in, at the time, there, there was an obligatory military service or that you could have a substitute service. So I was applying for the second one. That, that time you had to apply or at least you, you had to deny the military service. It was quite complicated. I, I did that. 
and I spent one year as a caretaker in a in a home for the elderly. Oh, which was a, a wonderful experience for me because until then, as you said, so I was dealing with machines and with math and all that nerd stuff, and then we were dealing with humans and with manual work. So that was a completely different world and it also made me think about whether that should be a path for me i didn't know maybe to, with humans because i liked that and i liked the manual work so they they taught us really everything so just switching light bulbs painting the walls doing the plumbery so so also working with wood so my colleagues were uh, a woodworker and so i was the dumbest person I had two left hands, as we say in Germany, uh. so I didn't know anything, and I learned a lot. And also, th this had a, a big influence on my, on my life today. So, because when there's something to fix in the house, I know very well whether I'm able to fix that or not. And if I am, I will, I will do it. Uh -huh. um, so that was a huge change in my life that year. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, you were the first member of your family to go to the university, correct? Correct. Even to high school. So in uh, in Germany, we have this really old and strange systems of having three levels of school. And only if you go to the first top highest level, you can go continue to university. It's still in place today. It should be replaced uh, according to many people. But I was the first at the top level. It just happened. And um, and therefore, I was also the first to go to the university. Yes, so so there was no. Let's say also at school there was no guidance or there w there was support. So my my parents supported me and they encouraged me, of course. But they said, so we don't know where this is leading to. Uh, so if you would like to go there, go there. And I I thought, okay, I would like to go there. I went there. So, <laughs> but that was my choice because they had no. So, so they could not. They had no first ex, first-hand experience, so to speak, right? They, they, they said, "Okay, if you would like to do this, we go," and and I did. So, and that was the the same for the university. Yeah, right. So you had support, but uh, you didn't have much advice because Correct. there were no yeah. people in your family that was to, experienced on to the advise me. Yes, yes. Yeah. So That's it was true. an adventure in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yes, with hindsight, yes, it was. I mean, I didn't know it was just normal, right? So I didn't ask where are the persons to advise me. Shouldn't there be anyone? Maybe that is also. So if you're not, let's say, if you're not born into this situation, you don't know the protocols. So I was not missing that, right? So mm -hmm. I was not like, where, where's my, where's my advisor? <laughs> I was not missing the advisors because I, I, I wouldn't expect that there should be one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Maybe I was naive, but that was it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it comes to that point of uh, you can't possibly miss something that you don't know that it even exists. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But how did you choose a career? That was a series of coincidences, I would say. So I, li I liked, as, as you said, I liked math, I liked natural sciences. So I wanted to take a subject at the university that was quite new at the time. It was in German, Wirtschaftsinformatik. So it's like maybe information systems, something like this. It's computer science and a little bit of business information, all that. 
And I was applying to that university, which is the closest to Wolfsburg, so it's in Braunschweig, the closest city, 20 kilometers. I was applying only there. What else should I do? And then I took, I mean, I did this after school, then I did this, did the civil service, then the civil service was over, and then I got a message, you're not accepted by the university. I mean, I was applying only there. I was surprised. Uh, that was maybe the first thing that did go wrong in my life. I mean, accidentally, everything turned out until uh -huh. then. And they declined me. And then I, I went, so there were some, some people at the university I could talk to, so I went there. They gave me a brochure. So here is math, mathematics. You can always start mathematics. There's not much uh, demand for that, so <laughs> they always have places. Uh, you can do that. So And I took the brochure and I read it and and it sounded nice and I liked math anyway. So I decided to enroll in mathematics mm -hmm. um, only to know w one month later, I, I was on a, on a waiting list apparently for, uh -huh. for the original subject and they admitted me to the original subject. And I said, no, no, no I decided, I, I mean, because I liked it, I decided to go for math. So I started it, I will finish it. So that was, I never regretted and never looked back. I just went there. So that was math. So that was one let's say coincidence, but a very nice one. So t today I'm so happy mm -hmm. that I didn't, took, did, didn't take the other path, which is informatic. I'm so happy about that, but never, never tell anyone. Okay. Well, it's among us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate. I can totally, relate. I know, I know, I know what I know what you mean, really. Um, can you explain uh, how the program was organized? Uh, how many years and was yeah. it bachelor's and master's? Yes, it was it was different than than today. Today it's bachelor's and master's, so like the Anglo-American system. Uh, at the time we had it was called four diplomas, so that was the undergraduate studies and the diploma, the graduates, yeah, maybe graduate studies. So comparable to bachelor's and master's is it's it took two years each in uh, in in mathematics. So after four years, that was the regular time you were done with a master's comparable uh, degree. And this is what I did. So after four years, I was done. And um, so, yeah, so the bachelor's for diploma that was mainly laying the foundation. So the introductions to everything like numerics, stochastics, optimization, and all that, uh, differential equations. And then later on in the so-called master's, you could uh, specialize in, in certain topics. So mm -hmm. after four years, you had uh, an equivalent of uh, bachelor's and master's. I think so. At least this is this is how we count it today. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether whether it's completely equivalent uh, according to today's standards. But but did you have I, to I do any research it. work or write a dissertation? No. At the end? Uh, well, yes, you had to write a, a final thesis, like a master's thesis. Uh -huh. um, it was called the diploma bite, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, yes, so that was comparable, of course. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that was in in my case. It was on on polytopes, enumerating the vertices and facets of polytopes. Mm, so you worked at UPS for a couple of years, actually. During, during my studies, yes. Um, so that was a student job. Uh, they, they were advertising that and they were paying very well. So that was very attractive. What was not so attractive is the working hours. So it, was, it started 10 to 4 in the morning. So in the summer, it was even already light when I went there. And I was, so the, the satisfactory thing is when it's eight o'clock in the morning, you are already done with your work. So that was nice. Then I went to the university and I slept at the university. <laughs> that was not so nice, but it was, um, so at UPS, that was, 
without knowing it, also some encounter with OR because they were applying tools which were very organized for, for the tour planning. So I was loading the, the cars, the vans, uh, the delivery vans. And it, it worked like, okay, there was a conveyor belt, all the parcels arrived. So you took one that is that is for your car. So apparently because everyone was for some city and you took it and you were looking at the address and then you had to memorize, okay, the address maps at a certain number, the number and maps at a certain place in the car. And then this is where you went and then you do one by one by one. And uh, the next day, you are measured according to the many errors that you made in the in the morning before. Um, but I like this because I like the numbers. So that was an easy and even rewarding, so a very satisfactory job for me. I liked it a lot. And I only left there because there was an even better opportunity for me to work at the university as a student assistant. Okay. So, so that was then at the, at the department of mathematical optimization. So that was also the department where I had my first encounter with OR, so to speak. So mm -hmm. they were giving a lecture, introduction to mathematical optimization. So like a little bit nonlinear stuff, a little bit discrete, a little bit linear. And I like that. So we can talk about that later. Um, but they had a student job and um, that was like creating a web page. You say, oh, okay, everyone is creating web pages these days. But yes, but that was 20 years back. Yeah, yeah. 94. More than 20 years um, ago. <laughs> yeah, look, so, and they were, um, so now, now you think, okay, the, the internet, that's that's the web, right? But no, the internet, I mean, that is just port 80, and this is how we did it. So we were programming a service on port 80 to serve a website that we were coding in HTML. Mm -hmm. um, so w these were among the first websites in Germany, I think. So my, my advisor at the time, Uwe Zimmermann, he was very fond of these technologies. So he had a Gopher servers and FTP, and he wanted to, to have a www <laughs> web page uh -huh. and we when we did that so it was my job um so to speak to code the page in html in an editor and to set up the service with uh, cgi scripts and all that so it was very low level stuff we had to that we had a service so you could register for a certain organization via our web page so we had to fill forms so we learned about forms and then we wanted to send confirmation emails. So we had to fake sending emails because no one knew how to send emails. So we were really talking on port 25, <laughs> SMTP protocol, like, hello, hello. So my name is, uh, okay, you are. My subject is, haha, thank you. Here's the, the body of my message. Thank you. That was it. Okay, goodbye. So like this protocol thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're coding very low level. Um, and that was fun. And that was the reason why I left UPS. So for a, a, a better job in some sense, it was closer to the university and mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, mm. and learning HTML uh, in those days should have been a challenge because... The yeah, resources were, again, very scarce. So, which made it easier also in some sense because you couldn't look, uh, there was no Google, right? So there right. was no search engine. Uh, but there was a central site, let's say at the CERN in, in Switzerland. And from there, I mean, you could, find about HTML and they had documentation. So we were printing the documentation, HTML 1.0. Uh -huh. That was very little. I mean, <laughs> there was nothing, not a lot about the language at the time. Uh 
uh, you could learn that quite well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned that your first contact with OR was in a class that was in introduction to uh, mathematical optimization or something. Exactly. I, I think there were two reasons why I liked it. Uh, I didn't like the other stuff very well, very much. So that was partly that it was above my head or out of my, I, I don't know. So topology and higher algebra and measure theory, that was not mine. Whereas, for example, the discrete optimization stuff, so graph theory, so like, I don't know, you're given a tree with a certain property proof that there, the other property holds, right? So that that was accessible to me and I liked that also, be, maybe because of the discreteness, maybe I'm not a continuous guy and maybe that stayed, but uh, so, so I liked that, uh, that way of reasoning and I knew that was for me, so I, I stayed in that, in that uh, path, yeah. Nice, but you actually never wanted to do a PhD. No, like, like others. So, so among, uh, among our students, we were talking about that because we were seeing others who did. And no, not us, come on. And I didn't. Uh, I didn't. That was not my path. Um, I liked it. And then, it, it, I mean, maybe this is a wrong memory, but my memory is I had my last... It's, it's 25 years ago. I had my last exam. It was an oral exam in math optimization on Friday. And my then boss told me, okay, you can start here on Monday. I believe it's certainly a wrong memory, but this is my memory about it. So it was on very short notice. Of course, we were hoping for that. But he said, we have a seven-month position for you. You can stay here. And, and I did. You know what? Because it was convenient. Mm. <laughs> It was like I was working there anyway, so they said you can continue working here. So that was a, 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 an, an environment I was I was used to see every day, and um, so I, I liked that perspective. So again, by coincidence, so to speak, I stayed. Mm -hmm. Maybe I did something f to earn that con coincidence. Of course, they wouldn't throw that position to, to like everyone. To, okay, come on, you can start next Monday. But for me, it was um, it was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you spent uh, seven months uh, writing a proposal. Uh, That's true. So that was my that was my first contract, seven months. And what I found on the desk when I when I started was the first stage of a proposal. So it was one a one pager. It was describing a project that was granted in the first stage and it was my task to write so to speak the full proposal um, to be successful in the second stage and I knew if I would be successful with, with that proposal I would have three more years so that was the plan it, it was successful by the way but if if it w wouldn't have been successful maybe we wouldn't talk right mm -hmm. so <laughs> another another good thing that happened it was about so so the one pager said um, we have a project together with railroads. So we have in, in chemical plants and, and in the steel industry, we have these in-plant railroads. So they are, for the heavy transportation, they are operating their own uh, locomotives. And it was my project um, to schedule the, these locomotives so to, to serve all the transportation requests. And I had to form this into a full proposal. That was my first task. Well, you're talking about 1996 or so? Uh, 96, exactly. Yeah, and uh, at that time you didn't have the, the 
the papers available online as we do today no and uh you have to somewhat find them uh asking them to author directly or in a library or something like that so how was the process of you know doing the research and writing and asking for so, papers so if when, when necessary yes so, so most um, we had a library, I went there because we had operations research, math programming and all that. So I found some papers there and then you look into the references and then, okay, sometimes you have the journal there and you fetch the rep. It was all photocopying, right? So sure. I have, I still have that. It's, it's a huge wall of just paper and, uh, but sometimes the library didn't have it. And then you had to have, ask a remote library. So to, you had to fill a form, you had to fill a form with a typewriter, of course, because <laughs> there was no online. Uh, and then you, you handed that into your library, they handed it to whatever remote library, then you got it back. Days, weeks later, you got a photocopy of the article and this is how it grew, right? And then you had the article, ah, that was not the one I needed, maybe it's not so necessary, but they have references, okay, and you start all over. So it was a tedious, long lasting project to do the literature research is quite different from today. <laughs> yeah, but you see, do you think that doing a PhD back then was harder than today? Uh, b because of all that, because of all these um, hurdles you had, I don't think so. I, I would even say it's harder today because of all that ease of access, right? So look, I had no choice. I had to wait two weeks for the article to arrive. Now, if you wait two weeks, I mean, you have the article now, and now you can spend the two weeks already somewhere else. So the expectations, I think, are much higher in a sense today. And there, again, we have the topic of the limitation, right? So because of no one was expecting you to know next day what was in that article. It was okay not to know next day. Today, we say, okay, good, you got it somewhere on a repository, uh, download it, we can talk tomorrow about it. So it's different. Maybe it's not harder today, but I think it's, um, it, it may be tougher or, or the pressure in some sense is, is larger than it was uh, when I was doing my PhD. Yeah. I think it depends, of course, on the experience of each individual, but still, uh, of course, yeah, it's something mm -hmm. interesting to reflect about. Um, how about your first conference and first journal paper? I ask that to everyone because uh, I think okay, it's nice. okay, okay. So the first journal paper um, that came from my diploma, so to speak, master's thesis, and um, so, but that was not the result in the thesis. That came later. So. As I said, I was writing about polyhedral stuff and, and about an algorithm. And we needed a property that I didn't see. And I, again, maybe a false memory, but I think I had Nemhauser and Wulze's book. And I was reading it with a glass of rosé wine. Mm -hmm. I think it was rosé. <laughs> and um, yeah, I found something that I was needing uh, at the time. And then we had a result, an algorithmic result. And we were publishing that. It was a computational geometry thing. Oh. So we were sending that to a journal, a prestigious one, and we immediately got it back desk rejected. <laughs> that, was the, my, that was my first encounter with a journal. That was quick. So we were sending it and it was immediately back, sent back. But how would you deal with those negative uh, feedback? 
Um, so I was told, so I, I was doing this together with a, a, a another PhD student, um, and I was told that is normal, so don't worry. Uh, we just send it to the next journal. And we did. So maybe, bec maybe because the reason was this is not a good fit for our journal. They didn't say uh, this is nonsense or this is not worth it. Maybe they did say so <laughs> and I forgot, but um, we were just, because it was desk rejected, it was not even encouraged to make changes, right? So we could take it as is and send it to some, today we would say lesser journal, mm -hmm. right? Um, it was still a good journal. So computational geometry, theory and applications, I like that. And I was so proud when it was accepted, of course. Um, maybe still I am very <laughs> happy when, when we get ex papers accepted. Oh. That was my first paper and what um, the first conference. The first conference was um, in Braunschweig. I was co not co-organizing it, but I, I was contributing to the organization. So I was coding the website. That <laughs> was my first conference, but the first real conference was in Lausanne, the ISMP 97. Um, so the International uh, Symposium on Math Programming. Yeah. And that was wonderful. So I was, all my friends at the time and still today, uh, they are no math people, no. So I was the only nerd. They were doing real things, good things. And I was always, I had to tell them what, what I am doing all day. <laughs> they were asking, so, so you went to a conference and, and how was it? Oh, well, what are you doing there? And I tried to find a picture. So imagine uh, you're a musician and you're going to a place and everyone is there. So like the Rolling Stones and Genesis and uh, all the singers, all the names you know from the radio, they're all there and they tell you how they play the guitar and how they arrange things and, and all that, what the rhythm is. And that was my impression from my first conference that all the names I only knew from paper, they were all there and you could actually talk to them. So I was so shy. I, I, I remember talking to Francois Soumy. So I didn't, I didn't dare to talk to him in the room. So he left the room and I walked, I chased him. <laughs> walking <laughs> after. But uh, I took all my, I, all my courage and I said, okay, Monsieur Soumy. And I asked my question and uh, he gave me an answer. So yeah, that was good. It happens to all of us. Uh, I once attended a conference in Brazil and then uh, Professor Jubela Pot was around and I asked and asked him kindly, uh, can we take a picture or something? <laughs> because it's uh, it's an important thing, especially when you're starting yeah. a career and uh, you you get inspired by all those people and meeting them for the first time. It's always a nice uh, and possibly a very uh, important experience in, in our lives. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So meeting people is probably more important than listening to the the talks i think yeah yeah that's that's arguably uh, true in a way uh so uh you you are known for your extensive work on column generation and mm -hmm. you 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 did a lot of column generation in your uh phd research that's uh, true can you describe your experience on working with uh column generation that in the mid to late 90s and also with early versions of Cplex and, you know, mm -hmm. how, what it were the challenges and, and you know, there was lack of material, very few people working on the topic and how did you find the bugs and et cetera? So, so you're right. So we had Cplex at the time. It was, 
in our department, so my boss, Uwe Zimmermann, he had close links to Bob Bixby, so we had CPLEX. Uh, I think we started with 2.0, really, and I started with 3.0. So uh, it, was, it was really low level. I used the C interface, and I was coding a column generation code. Column generation was actually a good fit, by the way, for the format, because internally, I mean, it's not like today you're using a, a modeling language or whatever, so we were really low, leveling, lo low level um, using the column-wise encoding of the of the matrix, right? So right. the counters and the indices and the mm -hmm. values and all that, we were filling that. So this is how we built the model. So, but that, that way you could easily extend column-wise the model. So mm -hmm. that, was, that was good, and that was what I did. And the, the documentation we had was like the printed manual in the next room. And there was one manual for everyone. So whoever had the manual had to keep it and not share it with the others because then, then you were lost. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that, there was no online resource or, or anything like that. Very low level. And it was only column generation, right? So I never used that for branching because because Otherwise, I would have to implement my own tree management because you cannot do that within the branch and bound of CPLEX. That's a box for me. Uh, and I never did that tree management because maybe, again, I would have to use fancy data structures for that. I mean, fancy, mm -hmm. right? Too far away from me at the time because I'm coming from Commodore C64 times. <laughs> uh, so also my code probably was very limited and, and maybe it was buggy. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I, I would never know, and maybe no one would ever know if all that I did in column generation there contained bugs. Yeah. Um, How did uh, you deal with the, the tailing off, uh, stabilization? A good question. So with the stabilization, I only, I mean, that was 99 where the Dumel paper came, and we learned about that, and I, I, I probably did not have a problem with stabilization, but I, I did stabilization only thereafter. So after my PhD, okay. I, I never did any stabilization experiments only later. Um, but for example, tailing off. So I did not deal with tailing off. I was proud that I could see the tailing off <laughs> because, <laughs> right. So it was like, okay, some well-known people write about there's this effect of, uh, of little progress towards the end of the process. And I plotted that and I, so I could confirm, yes, I have that too. There was nothing I could do against that at the time. Mm -hmm. I was instead trying to find out why it occurred. Mm -hmm. So that that was a time. This is also one of oh, the most cited article I have is about this, this column generation thing, mm -hmm. right? And that came out of my PhD thesis. And that, in a sense, is a collection of everything I could find about column generation because we wanted to have answers so okay we have the effect what could explain the effect okay we have that instability w why could there be an instability so we, i was trying to find the resources that might explain that and maybe there were no explanations but but certainly either i was not good at or i had no abilities to to do anything against these effect effects right, right? yeah uh, and there was a very special person uh, that came uh, to participate in, in your thesis presentation, thesis defense, as a member of the jury. Th that's true. That's Jacques Desrosiers. So I have uh, a very I special I'm bond with him, right? Um, 
yes, I would say professionally and in my real life. So I think he's the closest person. Um, I mean, in the OR world for sure. Uh, but also, he's one of, of my very closest friends. Uh, I visit him if we are not in the pandemic as as often as I can. Um, yes, and and he. So I I because column generation. So of course I read from the Montreal people about column generation. This is the way I picked up the subject, the topic, what you can do. And I've met him at a workshop, and then I asked him whether he would be part of my jury my thesis committee and he agreed and this is how how it started yes and we we published uh, some things thereafter and it was uh, it was a very good thing that this happened in my yeah. life yes incidentally He's, yeah it, it, go, go ahead. So, sorry go ahead. that i inter interrupted no you problem, no problem. because it's the french thing again um he's my père so ah. he's my Oh, oh, our father, right? Uh -huh, so uh -huh. it's, he's not my he's not my doctoral father because that is Uwe Zimmermann, but I, I'm always calling him Perroer. He's my father. <laughs> That's a nice tribute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, uh, I I attended the course by Professor Jacques de Rosier, I think around 2008 or nine or something like that. Uh, when I was doing PhD, he came to Brazil, and he he gave of course a, a short term course on uh, column generation. And at mm -hmm. some point, he, he started to use your slides. So he was explaining okay. the, I think the, the probably the vehicle scheduling with time windows or something, or the, the sub-problem was a short, uh, shortest path with time windows. And then uh, he was uh, showing the dynamic program and all that. So I think that was one of the first time I, I, I heard about your, your, your name and your work. Uh, and it was almost when you started Twitter, but that's, we're going to talk about that later. But mm -hmm. then I knew you before uh, uh, you, you became known for your Twitter activity. Uh, and I mean, during the PhD, you also uh, had your first two kids. Correct. And uh, how did you manage, you know? Well, first of all, you're never alone. And we were two people to raise kids, of course. Um, but I think I, I, well, I spent quite some time. I invested quite a share of my time in that. And maybe I did nothing else than than the kids and the PhD. I was quite obsessed with, uh, with the writing and with the working on the PhD thesis. Mm, yeah, maybe that was good or maybe bad, I don't know, but, but there was little other than, than that, right? So mm -hmm. in a sense, how, how do you manage? Well, from a today's perspective, if, if people would ask me one day are doing their PhD, um, because this is, often something like with uncertainty and all that, right? And and would it be a good point in time to have kids, for example? My experience is still, yes, of course. When, if not then? Because then, in some sense, you're, you're still, let's call it flexible. I don't know, maybe this is a totally wrong impression because if you talk to people today, they are, they are so much under the uncertainty of there is no job perspective now when I have kids what will I what will I do when I have no permanent position at the university I understand all that and that is a serious problem but for me it was like maybe I was naive again right so mm -hmm. like yes it's it's a good time we want that we have that so let's let's do it mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe without a plan uh, like like so many times before but um, it was good yeah, I you're really it. adventurous, <laughs> in a way. Uh, 
And then uh, after finish your PhD, you move to Berlin, but you actually mm -hmm. tried to apply for positions in the US and Canada. Correct. So that seemed very natural to me. So just do it to try to, I mean, assistant professor positions and not even postdoc, right? I, I didn't know that postdoc term. So I applied for the assistant professor positions in Canada and the US. I, I wrote a lot of applications. Maybe that was, I mean, with hindsight today, I would say that was totally naive. No one knew me. <laughs> I mean, we, we did not publish um, during my PhD. Maybe I wrote that computational geometry thing, mm -hmm. right? But, but other than that, I had no credentials, as you would say. So why would they hire me? I didn't know. I, I, so this is why I applied. I got rejections. So I, then instead of moving 6,000 kilometers to the west, I went 200 kilometers to the east, almost the same. But uh, so I joined that Berlin group of uh, combinatorial optimization graph algorithms. Yeah. Wolf Möhring, another influencer, so to speak, in my career. Yeah. Yeah, so now now you have role models. <laughs> Finally, people now, have role now models. I have role models. Yes, yeah. now I have them. Right. Yeah. So you stayed in Berlin for uh, seven years and, and you had a pretty busy time. You had <laughs> two more kids, <laughs> then you then got divorced, then remarried, <laughs> and then you had <laughs> another two kids, so six kids around. <laughs> so True. And you also became a productive during that period. You, you, you started to be known and your, your work on color generation was uh, starting to, to, you know, attract attention. And uh, mm -hmm. how would you describe that period, you know? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Because, of, of course, we were trying to, I mean, only, only the professional side, right? So we, we tried to ask answer the, the, the why questions, what, what, what's happening here. And um, maybe one particular thing with this time is that I had a limited time contract. So this is still the, the German system that in you ha there's nothing like tenure. So today you have that tenure track, right? Uh, but at the time I did not have that. And, and maybe what I remember most of that time is how it ended. <laughs> because again, that was an ISMP 2009 in uh, in Chicago, I guess, and um, so I had that was in August. I had a contract until the end of September because I started in September '03 and I had a had a contract until '09. Um, so I was at the conference and I didn't know how it went further. M maybe. I was almost sure it, it would end. So that that is that was in the way forward. Um, and then I met um, Rüdiger Schulz from Duisburg in the elevator, and he said, "Martin uh, Alexander Martin, in, in at the time in Darmstadt, he has a position. You should ask him." So I called him, <laughs> and and very soon thereafter, he said, "Okay, you can start. It's it's a limited term position for two years, and you can come here at the Darmstadt and and uh, have that visiting professorship." Mm -hmm. um, maybe that is that is what I remember most, because if you look back, it, it looks like, aha, he was there at that place, and then he went to that place, and then he went to that place, and then he finally went to Aachen. But when moving forward, it was like, okay, there is a wall I could run into. Okay, oh, I just skipped it. And there's another wall I could run into. Oh, but I just uh, avoided it. Oh, then another wall. <laughs> and I just avoided it by inches. So that was very very tight sometimes uh -huh. and in particular there it was only a few weeks um 
and there was no plan B. I had, I had no plan B really, mm -hmm. like for applying for my uh, for my study program, and then I got rejected, and I had no plan B. Okay, I studied math. So here I, again a coincidence. And uh, so I moved to Darmstadt. Mm -hmm. I, I, well, I moved. I commuted from Berlin to Darmstadt. So that's uh, like four hours train ride. Mm -hmm. I did that for one year. And at that time, I started applying for permanent positions. Also the one in Aachen. Mm -hmm. um, and after about a year, I got the message that they would invite me and uh, they could offer me a position. And they were very cautious with me. So when, when they offered me the position, maybe, okay, could you imagine that you come here to Aachen? And they were super cautious. And I was, what are they doing? So look at my position. I have a limited term position. I have no alternatives. You have a position. It's permanent. Why on earth shouldn't I take it? I learned about that after after some time because so so look the hiring process like like everywhere else is you have a short list three names on them my name was not on it the three persons on the list they all declined the position okay so they opened the position again they had another short list with two names on that and mine was not on it the two persons declined so then i was the next so i was number six <laughs> And, and they, were, they were at the faculty meeting. Okay, he uh, he he is a, a eligible uh, formally and and all that. So we can put him on the list as number three and the second list, so number six. And then they offered me that position. And now that's the reason why they were so cautious. And of course, I was happy. But it was again a super lucky constellation that five persons before me declined that position that I have, and I'm. I'm having a wonderful position. Yeah, but but I know and I appreciate that. I, I was lucky. That's it. Wow. So you were yeah. the sixth uh, person to be called. You have exactly. six children, and incidentally, you were <laughs> the sixth guest of season two of Subject. <laughs> oh, you see, let, let's let's wait for what what another fancy stuff yeah. will happen with this number six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you, you finally moved to Aachen and mm -hmm. uh, but also I would like you to comment on your experiences uh, with the skip framework. Mm -hmm. uh, you said you never that's coded a branch and price from scratch. Probably that's, that's one of the reasons because you had a, the, a, a sort of a framework available. That's true. So first, the reason was I was afraid of doing this tree management. And then when we really first needed it, doing the branching and cutting and all that, we, I mean, we were in Berlin at the time and the zip Tobias Achterberg, the, the developer was, at the time, the developer, who he was very close, so there was a good interaction. And, and he was building that constrained integer programming framework, right? Mm -hmm. And in the solving loop for the LP, of course, there is a pricing ability built in, but probably no one was really testing it because at zip, they were more into cutting. So mm -hmm. polyhedral combinatorics and all that. So we had an application and we went into trying the pricing. So maybe we are responsible for some developments also in the early versions of the code. For example, I don't know, when, you, when you're somewhere in the tree and do the pricing, you have to respect the branching decisions and the pricing. So you have to know about the branching decisions. So there must be some data structure at least capturing, holding that information, right? Uh -huh. And maybe we have that easily accessible in Skip because of, I mean, not of us, but we were probably the first to make use of that. So um, 
Yeah, so that that is how we came into doing branch and price, and we stick until today to the skip framework. Yeah, yes. it's very interesting to hear you saying that you were scared to to handle the tree management, but that happens yes. to most people. <laughs> no, that happens. That probably happens to other people as well. And it's yeah. nice that you can acknowledge because it it can be annoying, you know, to to you have you have to avoid several copies of the master problem. You have to do. Uh, where to to include the columns or uh, you know uh, exclude them while doing branching and all that so it can be really challenging and uh, that's yes. why it, it it might it might be a little bit scary for certain people i, I understand and completely yes and which is why i'm thankful for having frameworks which take this work away from us so yeah yeah so as i said already you have many contributions when it comes to column generation uh, but would you like to comment uh, on your recent work on automatic density both reformulation of mixed integer linear programs? I had something tells me that is one of your favorites. It is maybe the fav favorite. You're you're perfectly correct. So that also started in the Berlin times. Um, so so a lot was around about implementing branch and price codes, branch price and cut, and we we thought, okay, the only thing that is missing when you would like to have that as a commodity, so like a branch and cut solver, of course, the experts know what's inside, but if you're just a user, um, the cutting just happens, right, without you knowing it. And we, we thought, okay, it would be nice to have that also for dancing wolf decomposition, so decomposition things, branch and price, to happen without your knowledge. And what was necessary for that was to well, we call it detect the, the structure of the model so that you can apply a decomposition. So because once you have that, everything follows. Mm -hmm. And this is why, so I invested quite a lot with others, of course, uh, with many people uh, who, who worked on that, into this looking what structure is in a model to exploit it in a decomposition framework. And, and that also connects to where I think maybe not the field is going, but where I would like to continue working on. Um, because if I have that as, as a goal to make this technology or our optimization technology uh, more generally available to more persons, um, then it must be more low threshold, right? So, yeah. uh, and, uh, and for that, maybe, maybe we teach many people how to model with integer programs, so they know how to do that, but maybe their model is not a good one. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's even a bad one for that purpose and they don't know. But maybe they don't even care whether it's good or bad. We we should know. Maybe we should look at their model and say, okay, you could correct this, but why should they care? So just do the correction and do all this automatically. So maybe we would like to learn about the semantics. You are trying to model a supply chain application and I see that and I know that there are tricks for supply chain applications and I apply them without telling you because you don't have to know. You're only interested in the solution, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is something where this thinking of model structure brings me at the moment. N now I'm interested in the meaning, in the semantics, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and that's, some, some might say, are you doing integer linear programming? Really, isn't that boring? We have been doing integer linear since so long. Everyone goes into convex, non-convex, non-linear, semi-definite, all that fancy stuff. First of all, that's too complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> but then, I think we are not done with linear yet. Yeah. So I think there is a lot of stuff we we don't 
no, or we could do with linear, integer yeah. linear. So I, I think I will stick there until the end. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating work, yet very challenging. Uh, yeah, I hope it, it turns out to be, a, a, who knows, a, a very useful tool in the future. And I, I, I wonder if, uh, you know, all these groups all across the globe, whether they should do a sort of a consortium or they mm. should join forces uh, towards the development of uh, tools that are more uh, interesting from the user perspective. Totally, and because yes. you should not expect one to, to know all those details when it comes to modeling. Of course, you know all the, 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 the basics from a integer programming model uh, that it's okay, mm -hmm. but when it goes to all these other details and it's kind of hard. And also it maybe what prevents uh, the spreading of uh, our application Yes. Sometimes because uh, this is very exactly. hard. We do a lot of papers, but maybe not enough softwares and because probably mm -hmm. we're not recognized that for that. Uh, Ruslan Sadikov that you, you know was totally. uh, discussing that the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, what about your teaching activity? I know you, you like that very much. I like it a lot. I was told I teach too much also early on. Several times maybe I teach too much, but I love teaching actually. Um, so we teach a lot. I teach, as you said in the introduction, 2,000 students every year, 2,000 exams, in, in, <laughs> yeah, at least five courses, plus seminars, plus, plus practice projects. So we, we have a lot of, well, maybe this is also related to what you just said. Our, our field is small. You said we should develop tools so that more people can use that, right? Mm -hmm. So so how could we go there? And maybe teaching is one way. Um, just inform people about about this technology we have. And uh, I certainly do not expect everyone to use it, but maybe it's it's just when they are in, in some positions later on, certainly they will be in decision situations, planning situations. Maybe they remember oh, there were these weird guys <laughs> talking about what, what was it? Integer Pro, what? maybe they will remember and talk to some people they know who know that uh -huh. and um, and then this is a way forward so i like teaching a lot and um i invest quite some time in that yeah oh that's 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 very good and it's uh it's very nice to hear that you you something sometimes you were uh, very uh, you're an accomplished researcher but teaching it's something that could be not that enthusiastic I think it should go hand in hand, right? So yeah. this is also a way of of spreading the latest technology, the latest development directly to the students. But, but also the other way around, they have questions. I, they, I mean, I learn from them a lot, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I, I never take this for granted. In particular, for example, when I teach at the business school, uh, wh when they're seasoned people who have a lot of life experience, they come back to school and I tell them, look, I have an integer program and that is used in practice. And they query like, like come on, this is never used in practice. So they challenged me, uh -huh. right? And that yeah. is good because I always have to find, okay, is it true what I'm telling them? Do I really have that experience? Maybe they are right with their, with their concerns and all. And so this is also very strong in, in this direction. Mm -hmm. I like that, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your social media activity. Mm -hmm. uh, you joined Twitter in 2009. Yes. And you became one of the most popular OR figures around there with more than 6,000 followers. In our world, that is quite a lot. Uh, yeah. How did everything start? Um, that started 
I think out of curiosity, I think my first tweet was again in teaching while we were grading an exam. I think my first tweet was something like, okay, we are almost done something. It was, it, we were doing it all day and it was very late. And I was just wanted to post a message to my zero followers. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are done. We have it. And this is how it started. And I, I was using Twitter. I mean, almost exclusively, I, and I never used the other so social media platforms that much. But Twitter, I, I stick with for various purposes over time, I think. So I, for me, it was a source of information. So I was learning there about what prescriptive analytics, about the notion, about industry 4.0. I was sometimes following German teachers or German politics or something. So it was a source of information. And um, the followership grew continuously over time. So that was not, I mean, not intended. It was maybe a, a side product. And I had some at some point. And, um, and maybe then I also started actively sharing information because I knew there were different communities. I mean, OR is interdisciplinary, right? We have mm -hmm. math people, computer science, engineering, business people, and, and others. Mm -hmm. And I knew sometimes there's maybe a result from computer science I, I liked. That was just a personal opinion. I liked that. And maybe I thought, okay, maybe someone else will like that too. So I shared it. And, and maybe because of that, some people took notice of, of that activity that it was never really planned, but but I noticed that that this could be my way of paying back. So I got information from Twitter. So why not giving information to uh -huh. Twitter? Yeah. But do, do you have any clue why you have so many followers? That, I mean, you, you told that you, you were inspired by people like uh, Michael Trick, which is as his famous yes. uh, R yes. blog and all that. And but Laura. you surpassed him yeah. eventually. So yeah. it's, it's it's crazy. It's, yeah, m maybe because that activity never went calm. So I also started blogging at some point, but but there I stopped again. So the blog is probably unread uh, by people, but but Twitter I see every day that there is some reaction at least, and maybe this is this addictedness that thing. That was my next right? question. So if you have so the, a certain the, level the, of addiction, <laughs> totally. So this is this social uh, currency. I get the likes, yeah, and the retreat, cool. <laughs> of course, this this does something to me, right? Mm -hmm. And and this encourages me, encourages me to continue in some sense. Why I got so many, I really don't know. <laughs> Are you recognized around, like in conferences? Uh, ah, that's the guy from Twitter. Sometimes, yes. So. Uh, more and more people are on Twitter. Uh, of course, not everyone, but but it happened to me several times at conferences. Hey, come on, you are famous. You're on Twitter, and uh, let let us take a photo together, and then we will tweet it. And <laughs> so I never knew. You know, I always say the graph of knowing one each other um, is directed. So, I, of course, I know some people. They know me, but but also. Some people know me, for example, from Twitter. I don't know them, uh -huh. right? Because maybe they never treated or whatever. So I, I and, and then someone recognizes, talks to you on the street because there the arrow is pointing in my direction. He knows me, they know me, she knows me, whoever. Um, and, and that happens, yeah. It, it's always fun. And 
what are the pros and cons uh, for for being on Spotlight uh, and you know having so many followers on, on uh, Twitter? Um, poof, maybe I never really thought this through because it just happened. Um, now, now I realize because, for example, you mentioned it. Um, you have well, maybe a certain kind of responsibility. Yeah. Even though I don't feel it that much, it's still true that sometimes. So I'm I'm also very known for just saying things I might regret later on. <laughs> sometimes I tweet some things I might regret later on, but um, so maybe this is some one thing that that happened that I may think one more time before tweeting sometimes, but sometimes I just say, okay, still do it. <laughs> uh, um, do you yeah, think you have a provocative nature? Sometimes, yes, I, I, I think so. Um, I, I don't know why actually, where this comes from. Maybe this is um, some kind of in insecurity mm -hmm. just to, to move forward with a provocative thing because then i'm in action i don't i don't know where it comes from but i would say yes sometimes i i um i'm inclined to say more than i said like here today probably as well but people yeah. will try to make some sense of that yeah okay right right uh i mean uh i must thank you by the way for your very nice post on one on paper that i was a co-author and it was on generating guitar solos uh, exactly. by integer programming. And uh, that paper would never get that much popularity or even would be known to this day if we're not for your tweet. You put a really nice guy, you know, hand-banging guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was very kind of you. And, uh, and then later on, when I started this, the project on the, on the subject to project, uh, I had this very good friend of mine, Rafael Martinelli, he tweeted, I didn't even have a Twitter account for the, for the chat, this, this project. And he, you immediately reacted saying, great idea, great name. So that was also very, very nice and it encourages you. You see, so you're a guy, you know, we have that much followers. And when you kind of approve something or you react favorably towards uh, some uh, uh, fact, uh, mm -hmm. maybe you you're influencing other people or influence even that people more than you think yes maybe but you know what so when when we were talking the other day you were mentioning also this and and maybe you told me that this actually happens so i don't know maybe, maybe it does but okay so two possibilities or at least two maybe we overestimate the influence of the tweet on your work maybe your work was just good and it was just good without the tweet so this is what i would think <laughs> <laughs> but maybe as you said so you took it as an encouragement so it was it had no direct influence on the quality of the work because the, the work was good but it had maybe some small impact on how you felt yeah exactly. and this i didn't and this i didn't know before you told me maybe maybe people would say but come on but that that's obvious isn't it Maybe it was not so obvious to me, and I thank you for for mentioning this maybe basic fact of social activity um, that there is also a well a positive effect of the yeah. Of the uh, so I I can tell that other people might be very happy if if they see their paper uh, publication retweeted or tweeted by by you. So they said, "Wow, uh, I got his attention." <laughs> they so. shouldn't. They shouldn't. <laughs> 
Yeah. But I'm saying that's it. When you talk about responsibility, so uh, mm-hmm. at times you, when you, when you do that, it's, you're sort of validating or even encouraging yeah. those those people, and that's I think it's very nice in a way. So uh, on the other hand, uh, I mentioned that you 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 have many followers, and that's mm-hmm. a lot in terms of uh, OR. But when you compare to other fields, uh, even close uh, closely related fields, mm-hmm. it's nowhere near uh, the the number of followers that some some guys have and totally yeah. what what are your views on this well you're probably referring to fields we all know like artificial intelligence machine learning data science be, data yeah. all that um so first of all i i don't envy them okay so they have something to say so why not have big accounts but maybe this is a reflection of so when you say i have a, a very big or account and they have much bigger data science whatever accounts so maybe that reflects also the size of the fields and the and the marketing and attractivity and and awareness of these fields so we are i mean we are many or persons in the world but but compared to other fields like data science for example we are so few in in a sense everyone knows everyone or at least we could and um so so this is good of course but but maybe this is also a danger to our fields i i know that um eduardo sure he he was also talking about that a little bit so that that we think and i believe that is true we have a super good technology to help people in industry in so many situations to make better decisions to make better plans whatever the climate crisis may need us so we don't know but we have a super good tool or many tools but not so many people know about that how come that the i mean it's not the younger field but it recently like like artificial intelligence recently got much more attention than we did now we could envy this but we could also ask so why why did it happen even the media is publishing about about this and i thought about this often and i think one one explanation might be that they i mean it's really a prejudice but i think they have more digestible content this is one one part i think so you can explain for example in fraud detection right so you are making credit card transfers whatever i detect a pattern in your in your transfers i think this is not your pattern so this is fraud detected you can explain this to people and they think even when they don't understand and they see okay i see your value in this now if i come and say i can for example at our university I can do the timetabling, the university course timetabling for the whole university. Then even knowledgeable people in our computer science department, for example, they say, no way, this will never work. So imagine, (laughs) there were, I mean, we did this, but there were so many um, reservations against that by knowledgeable people who should know better. Um, So when it's hard to convince them, how can I convince a broader audience mm-hmm. so maybe so i i was trying to term this as we are too complicated and and this you mentioned that before so this is an even stronger motivation for us as a community to to develop easier accesses to our technology so more low level entries better tool chains 
better explanation, better marketing, but then again, there's so few people. <laughs> so it's a dilemma, but but I, I see this, and um, so I don't envy the, the large communities, but I, but I see them as a as a motivation, as a yeah, s someone to 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 walk in their in their path, mm -hmm. um, uh, how they do it. But maybe we're not on the same. Uh, so how, how do you say on the same page? page. Because mm -hmm. um, because as I said, maybe our stuff is more complicated more complex to sell mm -hmm. or to grasp that this could actually be true what we are doing mm -hmm. um, yeah. so that that it's harder to say yeah I yeah I, I see what you mean uh, maybe you have to reflect on this uh, rethink uh, our strategies uh, to make it uh, to make our more popular maybe valuing the work of software uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes you just see papers papers and y you maybe don't you overlook the, the how can you see the value and you know it's it's how can you rank that so it doesn't count so Th one may not be very uh you know tempted to do that so yeah but but this is a perfect I, I, and I, I i'm sure you didn't this on purpose but uh, uh didn't but but this is a, a a very nice bridge to one thing that you mentioned earlier earlier today the the project with panos uh-huh uh, because we have that journal, I, I I don't want to advertise it. I, I mean, no, just yeah, delete the name. No, yeah. If you want to take the just opportunity just to reach a comment, no, about no, just 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 delete the name. But but um, maybe maybe I can use this also for some thoughts on publication because that is what what the journal should be. It it's still it's a, it's it's a normal journal, but we try to value also these. Let's call them new development. So I'm an old guy, so I can call that new development. Um, that that we are writing software, we are sharing repository, we are hosting data, um, we are having technical contributions which are not a theorem, which are not only, let's say, um, a, a, an application of our models and methods to some practical situation, right? So we have more contributions, meanwhile, I think, in our science, and we should value this, in publications, in in when hiring people d for academic positions so okay who who's that guy he only wrote software well only come on that's so valuable so difficult to do um we should appreciate that yes and and in the journal we we are trying we are trying it's, it's a long way to to make mm -hmm. this tra transition but we're trying to also uh, value this and and invite contributions in that sense where we think there should be much more, well, um, attraction and, and visibility towards that. Excellent. You know, I really appreciate uh, all your efforts and I hope uh, it, it, it gets better and better and that people will start to submit more contributions, not only papers, to, yes, to, the, exactly. to the journal, right? Yeah, thank uh, you. So, Marco, I had an excellent time. Thank you so much uh, for your, you know, participation here uh you were the first german guest and i'm also uh, really glad that i was able to to have you here so uh i just hope to meet you soon at some time in person yes and then once again danke thank you so much thank you so much so you see it it went dark uh while we were talking i enjoyed it a lot i learned a lot from you so thanks 
thanks really a lot for having me as your guest. It, yeah, it was so. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you once again, and and see you soon. Ciao. See you soon. Bye bye. bye. Ciao. ciao.